0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you're waiting for our tagline, 40 years ago. It's coming. First, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card, and you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you as a retailer can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader, With no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair Fee Buster. And now... Emeritus Rex, 80 years after the uprising. This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupko. And I use that intro specifically because you are close to ground zero, close to where the historic, incredible battles were fought for almost a month. And you are there commemorating the uh, beginning of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, which started on April 19th. 1943 uh tell me rabbi ruvenishua pukko of beth israel Aaron, how did you come to be uh there in warsaw right now how did that happen
1: i got an invitation uh from the polish government from the polish president to attend um probably due to my uh involvement in holocaust education and uh And, uh, you know, people were invited from uh, a lot of different cities in North America and Europe, and uh, I chose to accept the
0: invitation. Okay. Uh, So are you representing your shul, representing Canada? I know you're representing yourself as a Jew and as a person who is so deeply invested in our history, but uh, were you there officially representing something? I'm assuming I was representing the other rabbis uh, or people of let's say from the Orthodox world are there uh, to commemorate this, this event.
1: It's, it's hard to say. I mean, it was a very large gathering today of a couple of thousand
0: people. Uh, you certainly saw Yarmouk
1: is there. You saw some, uh, the, the local rabbi, uh, the chief rabbi of Poland, Rabbi Shudruch was there. Um, there were uh, rabbis from New York. I recognized who were there. Uh, some of whom I actually said hello to. And um, you know, it was a very large gathering. Robert Kraft was there, the owner of the New England Patriots, was there with one of his football players. Um, uh, Ronald it? Was it? Was it Julian Edelman, no, not Julian Edelman. Uh, uh, who else? Ronald Louder of the World Jewish Congress was there. Wolf Blitzer was there. Uh,
0: in the audience. Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> yeah, with Dana Bash, you know. I, 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 who, uh, Shades of, the, shades of the Scud missiles. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, Wolf Blitzer, he, he's he's a pretty proud Jew, isn't he? Wolf yes,
1: he, he was there simply as a spectator. But the once, main speakers were the president of Poland, the president of Israel, and the president of Germany. It was the first time the president of Germany was invited to speak at the commemoration of the
0: uprising. Right. So in other words, instead of being booed as the villain... They felt he should also share. So tell me, give us a little bit of a highlight. I know you would have loved to be standing there, holding forth in your usual manner and, and, and illustrating what exactly were the issues. But what were some of the, the, the what were the speeches like, and what sort of points did they hit? Were they translated? Yeah. Were they, did you have like sets to, tr- to have like that immediate translation, like they have at the UN? They had simultaneous translation. Yes. Ah, so were you you were wearing a headset there was a headset available yes and uh for the german speech and the polish speech it was quite helpful uh yeah okay so what 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 were they trying to say i mean it's 80 years past the event and you know it's almost become legend about what the warsaw ghetto uprising was what was it that they said to commemorate this was it just platitudes committing that this won't happen again or was there something really moving and uh... i'll tell you i mean some of the things that were
1: said uh, I mean, the German president who spoke. And I'm uh, I'm going to, uh, I actually have a quote in front of me from him. He said, as German federal president, I stand before you today and bow to the courageous fighters in the Warsaw Ghetto. I bow to the dead in deep sorrow. I stand before you today and ask for your forgiveness for the crimes committed here by Germans.
0: Wow. So that is something. The fact that uh And again, there has been a a tremendous amount of May occult. It's good to hear that. What about the Polish president? The Polish
1: president was remarkable. He said, as you know, there's an ongoing dispute that has been in some ways resolved between Israel and Poland about how the Holocaust uh, is taught, how it's taught by uh, Israeli and Jewish educators while on the ground in Poland on trips like the March of the Living. Uh, dispute centered around the degree of complicity one ascribes to Polish citizens during World War II for the murder of right. Jews and the degree to which uh, Polish righteous Gentiles are highlighted and their role in saving Jews. So, there, there's an ongoing dispute, it was triggered uh, a long time ago already by the publication of Jan Gross's book called Neighbors About One City in Northeastern Poland, called Jedwabne, where uh, he he, based on copious uh, documentation and, and, and good research, you know, made, made the case clearly, uh, in convert incontrovertible in case that in that city, uh, it was the Poles who did the killing, not not, not the Germans, and that trick has triggered a decades long debate in Poland about how to how Poles see themselves uh, in, uh, in in the story. Uh, they posture as co-victims with the Jews, and there's certainly a lot of truth to that. Uh, there was mass mass slaughter of, of Poles as well uh, during World War II by the Germans, um, but the degree to which Poles uh, collaborated uh, with the Nazis uh, is, uh, is is a very sensitive subject in
0: Poland uh, to assist uh, the Nazis. And uh, again, it's, it's
1: very it's, the Polish story is a very complex story. I've spent years talking to survivors from Poland traveling in Poland, reading the history. Um, often, it, there's a difference between the urban and the rural. In other words, the, the rural Poles were much likely to uh, uh, to profess and embrace, you know, the more primitive forms of anti-Semitism long before World War II. Uh, the urban situation w- was different. Also, listen, the, the, the reality is that... It, Listen. There's different kinds of people to talk about. There are people. There, there are the actual collaborators. There are the bystanders, and then there are, um, and, and and then you know there are uh, uh, those who helped. There are those who helped, uh, and there are righteous gentiles of Poland. Over two thousand recognized Yad Vashem. Um, we know we know the stories of the collaboration, but we also. I mean, we have, you have to tell the whole story, which is that if Poles were caught hiding Jews, they were murdered. If they helped a the Jew, it was at the risk of their own life. So uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying this is an excuse, excuses their passivity in the face of the slaughter of Jews. I'm just, you, you have to know, the, you have
0: to be able to tell the whole story. You, you, uh, nuances, nuances, what did he, how did he walk this tightrope, the Polish president?
1: So the Polish president, I'll tell you what he said today. He said, President Duda said, for me and many Poles, they are above all, referring to the fighters of the Warsaw Ghetto, for me and many Poles, they are above all a symbol of bravery, determination, and courage. He added that they are the heroes of Israel, the heroes of the Jews all over the world. They are the heroes of Poland and the Poles. Hmm. That's how he put it. he also said, so that, he took a safe course
0: he took a safe course, really emphasizing the fighters, Mordechai Anselovich and the other stout whatever they were, the the team of actual fighters and, and, and people who were uh, actively supporting the revolt. He didn't zero yes. in on, on on anything more than that, right?
1: Right, no, but he also went on to say that um, um, that they are. Uh, a symbol of an uh, they're a source of inspiration for those defending Israel today. he went on to say that as well mm-hmm. I mean it is remarkable um that i mean listen, we can't take for granted here we are eighty years later standing i mean it's it's very moving it's overwhelming to be on the same ground as the uprising. And eighty years later, to have a president of the state of Israel representing the renaissance of Jewish life, the resurgence of Jewish life in the aftermath of the Holocaust, standing next to the German president, standing next to the Polish president, and uh, it's a remark—it's an emblem of the remarkable reversal of fortune
0: for the Jews. What about the Israeli president uh, Yitzhak Herzog? He had something to say that was uh, illuminating to you? Yeah, I mean, listen—he uh, he spoke beautifully about. Uh,
1: um uh, about what this moment means and what the uh what the uprising means in jewish history he spoke very sensitively about the um, about the uh, uh about holocaust memory he mentioned uh, survivors uh, in a personal way uh and he talked about um you know uh again the uh the absolute necessity of memory and, uh, the, and the and the the ethics of memory. He was very good.
0: Yeah, you know. So I, I, I can imagine. I don't know if he uh, talked about his namesake. Obviously, the grandfather that uh, he did not know, uh, the former chief rabbi of Israel. Rabbi I didn't mention him. But we know <laughs> that he was extremely active post the war, in terms of doing whatever he could to support the survivors and to do much and right helping and I mean, the upper, listen,
1: there's a lot of the way the uprising is understood has thankfully evolved since the early 50s and, and the late 40s you know uh, many in israel thought of it as the singular moment of jewish resistance which it was which is far from the truth uh it was it, it's the emblem of resistance but resistance there were uprising in other ghettos. There's uprising Sobibor and Treblinka. Uh, the resistance of the Jewish people during the war was uh, was was
0: breathtaking in its in, in, in its depth. Right, and, and we, we, we we've discussed this, and I do appreciate that. I think part of the reason is it was it had been before. You know, obviously there were only about fifty thousand Jews left by the time of Pesach. Uh, April 19th, uh, 1943, arrived. Um, right. And it, it, they'd already slaughtered and basically, you know, sent to death. Well,
1: uh, camp. Listen, between the time oh, the, yeah. uh, the the ghettos established and the liquidations, which begin on Tishabov in 1942, uh, 100,000 had already died from starvation and disease and random shootings. Uh, the, the peak population, the peak population was about 400,000. By the time the deportations start um, in '42, they're down to about 300,000. And about 260,000, 70,000 were already taken by the time of the uprising. By the way, the uprising, right, the first bad. moment of the uprising was in January. They beat back the Germans, and the Germans waited a few months to come in again. Remember, the date of the uprising was not chosen by the Jews. The Jews didn't choose to begin to fight. The Jews chose to repel the liquidation. It was on April nineteenth that Jurgen Stroop, the colonel in charge of the liquidation, he entered the ghetto and he entered the ghetto to liquidate it. so to argue that the the revolt triggers the liquidation is, is just not, is not accurate. The liquidation began, and then the revolt happened
0: yeah well, I, you know it could be obviously there were spies that the inside the ghetto they the germans. I knew what was going on, this, despite the fact that, you know, we know how courageous they held them off for almost a month. Uh, the first couple of days was, was shocking in terms of uh, the successes that they had, considering the paltry weaponry that the the Jews... I mean, you don't have quit. to read anybody's,
1: you don't have to read the Jewish reports. All, you know, it's on Amazon. Anybody can buy the Stroop report it's his it's, it's the nazi colonel's daily memos back to headquarters where he describes the courageous fighting of of, of, of the jewish resistance and
0: i think there's no question about it that they that what was you know the jewish underground were extremely motivated and they were a powerful force within the ghetto and a scary right. force uh, you know they, they people who did not contribute got shot in the legs i mean they was it was not Obviously, in any no, sort but they, of listen, there's situation. no question.
1: They, they also took ve- revenge against the Jewish police and the uh, and some members of the Judenrat. There's no question. Listen, the well, one of the interesting personalities in the ghetto was Adam Chernikov, the head of the Judenrat, until uh, the um, the uh, uh, until the deportations began, and he refused to de- to take part in, in any way in the deportations, and he committed suicide. He took a cyanide pill rather than collaborate
0: right you know you know it's interesting you know you mentioned suicide i I think in in sort of the collective jewish memory which is not that which is deep but not necessarily so specific uh we look at Masada and the Warsaw Gato Uprising and other uprisings as dying with dignity. Uh, Masada, of course, they took their own lives not to be uh, brought into slavery and chains and worse degradation by the Romans. Here in uh, in the Warsaw Gato Uprising, they, it had dawned on them and they knew with reports that the deportations were for death, that they were going to die no matter what. So here the argument was, and it was actually placed into the mouth of by later historians Historians, into the going to Zembo, that it's better to die this way. We die fighting. We die as as proud people. Um, and, I, and and we've talked about why that that is that uh, description is so captivating. But I think it's important to note, and just a little research I did before our discussion, that there were Rabbanim and others who felt that this would accelerate the uh, the liquidation that there was perhaps you could save more lives stalling. Who knew? You know, they, they, there was hope that the U.S. might come in, uh, the Red Army would come in. Um, it, it was not, it, 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 we talk about it, how everybody was on board. It wasn't just the, the, the copos who were against it. I think there were many of the 50,000 who you know, basically had to go along but they weren't necessarily for it. And, and I think it's important to say that the survivors, Rabbonim afterwards, talked about how they could not speak in, against the uprising because it became captured so strong a place in the imagination and the ideology of modern Israel. Beginning
1: of 1942, 80% of the people who were going to be killed in the Holocaust were still alive. By the beginning of 43, 80% of the people who were going to be killed in the Holocaust were already dead. If you were in Poland during the Holocaust, not the Polish Jews who survived by escaping to the Soviet Union, if you were in Poland during World War II and you were a Jew, you had a 99% chance of, of being murdered. Only 1% of the Jews who remained in Poland survived. We're talking about calculations that seem to me to be completely irrational, as if there were substantive chances of survival. There weren't. They killed everybody. The number of Polish Jews that survived while being in Poland is minuscule. We know them, right? We've learned from them over the last number of decades. But in the context of 3.3 3 million Polish Jews, it was a very tiny number that was able to survive. So any calculation based on if we do this, we'll live, if we'll do this, we'll die, if we do this, those calculations are meaningless in the face of the overwhelming brutal efficiency of the of the Nazi death machine
0: uh, granted i'm just trying to say that this um you know these were it was i wouldn't call it a splinter group but i think it's important for accuracy to know that there was it was it was hard in any situation for jews to be motivated together, especially here where people were in bunkers, where their lives were being shattered. I, I think that one of the things that is overlooked is the commitment that many of the religious Jews who died uh, had to actually having, uh, despite the fact that there was an uprising, they were they were making sure there was matzah, they were making sure that there was mitzvos, they were trying to do whatever they could to Listen, live. The, uh,
1: the, the spiritual resistance is... Is an incredible story. I mean, the what Jews did to maintain Jewish life. I mean, the stories of even people coming to the camps and then from memory writing up a luach so they knew when Yontif was, when they knew what shop is what shop they, they wrote up a luach for themselves. And one, one survivor talks about how the moment he was liberated he ran to find the luach to make sure he had done everything. I mean, the 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 resistance, I mean It's astonishing what went on in Kovni Ghetto, Zilni Ghetto, Varshi Ghetto, everywhere.
0: So I think some of that gets glossed over because it doesn't fit the narrative of the Mordechai Yonchilovitz rebel, the fighter, the people that inspire everyone around the world. There was spiritual resistance, religious commitment till the very end, listening to the Rabbanim, I mean, it's, it's 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 amazing as we know because Warsaw became this place that all the smaller cities ended up being packed into. Whether it's Ramanachem Zembo or uh, uh, the Piasatsner, the Eish Koydish, I, I think we in our world hear those stories. I don't, and again, it doesn't sell as as, as well to the outside world the the fact that they were trying to be medactic and keep mitzvahs and keep teramuna and died as not just proud Jews. Listen, but as think, Jews I mean, listen, listen, there are
1: people who have, there are people who have tried to you know to educate a broader audience on these matters. You have uh, even Jaff Eliach in her work about Hasidic tales from the Holocaust, a lot about the Blush of the Rebbe. you have uh uh the translations of Rabbi Oshri's chuvas from the Kovnei Ghetto that have been published. Uh I mean you have um, uh, her name escapes me for a minute, Days of Thunder. She wrote you know, two volumes about, uh, uh, about spiritual resistance in, in the Holocaust. There's no question it was pervasive. It was real. Uh, I mean, listen, it was so real that there were Nazis who knew the Shema by heart because they had heard it from so many Jews.
0: It was more than just, we're going to keep the mitzvahs. There was also incredible support uh, in a chesed way. Uh, there were, again, Trying to find people, despite how terrible the inevitable seemed to be, but uh, giving out soca, people who passed through, uh, there was, it, it's, it's mind boggling almost to see that there was a, a, a care and a love that, that extended. I would say, obviously, it extended to all. We've been all taught,
1: we can't judge anybody. Who went through the Holocaust? Because we know there are enormous number of stories of extraordinary heroism, both physical resistance and spiritual resistance, and as you mentioned, the just the effort to maintain some kind of Jewish life and and extremists in the worst possible moments. I mean, really unbelievable acts of of resistance and courage. But there were also acts of uh, of people who, uh, who who didn't. act in a heroic way. I'm not going to go through them. There are stories of rabbis who abandoned their people uh, during the war. And then there are stories of rabbis who rejoined their people during the war. There are all kinds of stories. And, uh, but one thing for sure, those of us born after didn't experience and have no right to judge.
0: Yeah, yeah. The question is, you know, when we talk about, as we move further away, we've talked about this, we've talked about it maybe on this program. As we move further away, the details involved in the picture have to be blunted. And I think that um, there was an explosion of of documentary and uh, research done post-World War II. I think the Holocaust has probably been examined and uh, (laughs) elaborated upon, written about more than almost any other period, a five-year period in human history, in, in which includes the Civil War, which also has a tremendous amount of uh, research done. But it, unfortunately, in the Civil War, the amounts of documents are, are minuscule compared to everything that came out uh, post-1945. Uh, I, 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 I wonder, Rabbi, if you know, we're reaching you know, the end of the obsessive Holocaust studies. I don't know. I mean, as, as the survivors are, are pretty much gone um, it's maybe you know, and I've talked about it with you. You know, perhaps <laughs> we should be investing our efforts into other places. But you know, I, I, I think these type of exclamation points, or periods, or quotation marks that that you the event that you're at uh, serve to contribute. is also a way, perhaps, to move beyond. Um, You know, I don't know if there's going to be, you know, know, the 90th celebration, the 100th celebration. I I think we're sort of, this is probably the last one of significance where you're going to have people who were survivors of that ghetto um, still around. And
1: uh, it's It's an open question. What what I see in my own community, uh, for instance, this year, uh, I'm going to be going to Poland two more times this year. Uh, The last three years, there was no March to Living. Our community has gotten together and put together a trip for those three age cohorts that missed the march. And we're doing a makeup march for them uh, in May, in addition to the regular March to Living, which is going on right now as we speak. And I'm taking a community group in in late July. Uh, When we first started doing these trips back in the early 90s, I remember the conversations. None of us thought it would last this long. And the numbers are not waning. The numbers of kids who want to go, whose parents want them to go, isn't dropping off. So I think there is still an intense desire, at least within the Jewish community, to continue to remember. I think the, 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 the fact that the generation is shifting and the presence of survivors, again, is dropping, I think that in some ways has added impetus to the imperative of memory. People understand they have to, you know, others have to step up and to play a role, not like the survivors, but at least to compensate, you know, for the absence of survivors and be able to tell the stories. I hear what you're Uh, saying.
0: I think we're, you know, we hear a lot, uh, and and some of it is borrowed, of course, from from the Black community, is that there is this communal memory, and therefore, even though you're not from that period, uh, you sort of have a responsibility to live it or understand it. And realize about what it is. Obviously, we, we we go through this every year with the Seder of Pesach and, and many other events. So it's not that strange, the Jewish mentality, but I, I think it's been uh, emphasized and accelerated by the general culture that uh, we have to have this uh, ethnic communal memory that's somehow in our, in our banks. And yeah, look, if it gets you to Europe uh, often to help Teaching and getting these junkets, I'm sure that that's a uh, <laughs> that's a. Let's let's talk about on a lighter note a little. You're, bit the, you're the
1: only guy in the world who calls who calls trip to the Warsaw Ghetto with Memorial
0: a junket, but okay. <laughs> well, look, to tell me, tell me, look, tell me what's happening in in Jewish life in Warsaw. Uh, you talked about the you know, there obviously is a chief rabbi of Poland, isn't there?
1: Yeah, listen, Poland's a strange story. Uh, you know, in 1968, 10,000 Jews who had remained were expelled. There's a minuscule number of identifying Jews. When I say minuscule, I mean compared to what it was, but it's a growing number because more and more Poles are discovering their Jewish roots. There are a lot of hidden Jews. Listen, take one example. Many people saw the movie The Pianist uh, fe- featuring the uh, pianist. Uh, his own children didn't know he was a Jew until they read his book in the late 90s. So there are a lot of hidden Jews in Poland. And uh and more and more of them are coming out of the woodwork. And they're half Jews, quarter Jews, whatever you would call them, uh, and they come forward. Some want to identify, many don't. But uh, uh, there is a community now in in, in in Krakow, a significant community, and in Warsaw, there are Jews in Lublin and in Lodz. um It is, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call it, you know, a vibrant, flourishing community, but certainly a community that deserves respect and support.
0: You know, because I've heard
1: about a couple of restaurants
0: and I've heard heard that there is you know obviously chabad and others and I think one of the things that's going on and you mentioned it in terms of education is that there's a whole um, cottage industry of poles acting as guides and tour guides no, but only no, besides that really bringing up-
1: no but more than that there are a whole cadre of young Polish intellectuals who have dedicated their lives to studying Jewish history in Poland,
0: you know, before the Holocaust, studying the Holocaust, remarkable research better. These young intellectuals recognize perhaps uh, a, a guilt that, that hovers over them from their families. And this is a way in, uh, to rectify some of that. But it, I, I, I stick with what I'm saying. I know that, that they are happy, the Poles are happy with the tourism that comes from the US and from Canada and other places. Of Jews wanting to discover and, right. are and, there, there, to of, and there are a lot of
1: there are a lot of Poles who aren't happy with it <laughs> because it be, brings Jews a lot listen, there's still anti Semitism Poland. I know that doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, but they don't enjoy seeing, you know, seven thousand Jewish kids marching. They don't like no. seeing that. Um and uh and listen, it, after it, World War Two it, it injects I mean, in the year after World War II, 2,000 Jews were murdered in this country by Poles. I mean, we, we know how deeply embedded anti-Semitism was in Poland. I mean, just two weeks ago, uh, Easter time, they, were, they burned a Hasidic Jew in effigy in the city of we're not far from Przemysl and Yaroslav. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, there's, of course there's anti-Semitism here. And, uh, you know, after the Vashem story came to light, some Polish priest decided to build an altar, uh, put on his altar a model of the barn in which the Jews of Jedwabna had been burned to death to celebrate it, I guess. And uh, now there's anti Semitism in this country, but there's also an enormous number of Poles who have uh, embraced the roles the Jews played in, in, in Polish history. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the the contributions to Poland made by Jews throughout the, the centuries of Jews living in Poland, um, and uh, they recognize it. But again, it's like like like
0: most places in the world, it's not one simple story. Right. Well, I I, I, I apologize for trying to reduce it to that. What I was saying is, I think that uh, uh, you mentioned the young people. I know of many families who have taken trips. Uh, everybody has chipped in, and they and they have a whole itinerary of a family going to the places where uh, their their relatives were murdered, uh, going to Rav Meir Shapiro's yeshiva, which I think is a hotel that people can stay in now. I'm pretty sure. Uh, For many maybe-
1: decades after the war, it was a it was a Polish
0: uh, medical college. Uh, then
1: it was returned to the Jewish community, where they made a model yeshiva, kind of. And there's also a few rooms of a hotel. A who knows? I, this. I mean, this is a place to be. You can go to Lezhenz. You can go, uh, right. well, you know. You're uh, right, and this is, and people. You go to the Chais in Lublin, you can go to the Yiddish Kodoshim Shis. I mean, it's incredible what you can visit here in terms of the, the you know, the graves. You can go To pull up in Kutz just to see Kutz on a road sign and to pull up in Kutz and to look up and see the room where the Kutzker. Had had secluded himself for the last years of his life is an amazing experience. I mean, to be in Kotsk and Legendsk and Lublin and Pietrikov and just it's incredible.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of getting an image of it when I, I see us on our Zoom call. You know, you know, in the hotel room that you're in, I think it's very similar, yes. probably where the I think yes. it was probably a Spartan. I think the Kotsker was in such Spartan quarters as as, yes. as we're finding <laughs> now. Uh, uh, yeah. You're right, and again, but that is graves, and we are you know, and, and clearly the fact that we have access to them, and some of them have had to been rebuilt and 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 and, and, and rediscovered. There's clearly uh, something. I mean, you to go top. to the
1: Marshals' graves, the Marsham. You go in I mean, in Krakow, you go to the Begala Bukas, the Tyszyn the Rama. It's 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 overwhelming.
0: Yeah, well, like we say, you know, it, it, but hopefully, you know, will it. Is it going to be more vibrant than that? It's interesting because, you know, let's talk about the Ukraine for a minute. What happened in the Ukraine in those cities was more than just, well, Jews can come here and we'll show them graves. They actually developed into uh, uh, cities where there was a, a sort of a thriving life. I mean, one of the things that was an appeal before Pesach, you know, after uh, this year was to help the Jews in Ukraine uh, try to have a better Pesach, and they were still suffering. I, I, it sounds like whatever, uh, however, steps Poland has made, it probably isn't going to, uh, you know, develop into those strongholds of yeshivas Not, and Jewish life no, the way it was.
1: No, but <laughs> um, you know, the story in Ukraine is very different because there are many more Jews, you know, who stayed living there after the war um but uh you know the uh, and, and i think if you just fly in for a day and go to the warsaw jewish cemetery right and you go there and you walk in and you see the chem shlomo you go and you see the cave of its Siv of repchayim of the Gerredes, it's in november it, it's you know it's it's it, and, and if you and if you want to criticize holocaust education for anything I think what they what they are vulnerable to in terms of criticism is the focus on death. In other words, reducing the six million to nothing more than what happened to them and what was done to them, rather than exploring the majestic elegance of pre-war Polish Jewish life and uh, and to understand how they lived, to understand you know what those centuries of Jewish of Jewish accomplishment and Jewish religious life was all about. And if you really want to honor the six million, you should be studying how they live, not just how they die and the, and that's one of the mistakes we make in Holocaust education, especially in museums, where the story starts September first nineteen thirty nine when the no the story starts hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that
0: you know drama and um, deceit and murder is what unfortunately we we gravitate towards, and I think um especially when we want to put it in universal terms to talk about greatness of Torah study and the thriving communities and how Jews um, you know were in, in piecemeal efforts were able to become the supporters of not just their Jewish community but really sometimes even the whole economic network of a, of a section of a country that's something which I think you know we can take pride in I'm not sure if it's going to be able to sell in terms of a Holocaust that you- education in a mass way. But I agree with you, uh, we need, we can use the Holocaust and the interest in it uh, to work backwards, and for people to 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 recognize that, uh, recognize who we are. So Rabbi, I, I wish you, of course, uh, in the same place like Avram Vino where you think, uh, you, you, what would you say? <laughs> I'm going to follow the path of
1: Rebelli Elimelech and and the travels around Poland.
0: Yes, 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 you will take your you will take. <laughs> maybe you will go as a tzaddik mister, as, as you, as as we, as, as you know. Yes. And, and uh, right. May, maybe you should go like you know the famous story of the Chabadz Chaim and um, and his aide who were traveling, who they switch roles. And maybe I will accompany you, and you know you can. I'll let uh, you'll let me play that role, and. You could sit in the. Listen, well, so the the, uh, but the, I, but
1: the head of my HR department is taking CVs to be my shamus, so you know you can certainly apply. <laughs> <laughs> the company would definitely
0: be great. And thank you for giving us this this window into what what it was like today at uh, the at, at, at the site of the Warsaw Gain Uprising. Well, that's it, my friends. We'll hopefully catch you next time on Emeritus Friends. Be well. Take care, everybody.